What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you guys don't know who Mystery Ranch is, well, they make awesome packs. They are most well known for their kick ass fire packs. They are arguably the most comfortable, the most well built, the best load bearing fired pack out there. But did you guys also know that they make a ton of other load bearing essentials like, well, if you guys want to go peel a trophy elk off the side of a mountain and pack it down, well, they've got a solution for you. If you guys need a laptop case, well, they got a solution for you. If you guys want to go backpacking across Europe, well, they definitely have a solution for you. Needless to say, they've got a lot of solutions for a lot of everyday things outside of fire, and it's awesome. Also, they actually give back to the community. They are starting up their 1039 scholarship series for those folks in the field that are in wildland firefighting. So if you guys want to go back to school, well, that will be coming out. A portion of the proceeds from uh, a few of their packs will be going into this fund and helping support you guys go back to school and get you guys an education. So pretty rad, but also they're doing the backbone series, which I am stoked to be working on and that will be coming out hopefully here pretty soon. And what that is, is it's going to be a series of stories related to wildland firefighters and how particularly the temporary seasonals and how that the backbone of our workforce is built on the backs of temporary seasonal employees. Of course, there's going to be some permanent employees in there too, but it's going to be a lot of perspective from a lot of different people uh, regarding wildland firefighting. So I'm definitely stoked to be working for them. But if you guys want to go find out more, go check out www.mysteryranch.com. It is awesome. Look forward to working with these guys. Another sponsor of the show is going to be, of course, our premier coffee sponsor. Who is that, you might ask? Well, it's none other than Hotshot Brewery, of course, the premier coffee sponsor of the Anchor Point Podcast. And how do they support our show? Well, they sling our merch. So if you guys are looking for one of those Fire Fiend shirts, kind of Misfits-esque themed t-shirt, or one of our Band of Brothers shirts, or even some stickers. Hell, we even got a couple of uh, onesies out there. Definitely go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. They also have kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, like their Spotfire blend or their Sawdust blend. They're, that's going to be my personal favorite. But they also have all the tools of the trade to get your morning started right. So if you guys are in the market for uh, an aero press or a pour over system, well, stop by www.hotshotbrewery and check it out. Also, while you're at it, check out their full line of firefighter themed apparel. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, because I've said it about a million times, but it's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. What is that kick-ass cause? Of course, a portion of their proceeds always goes back to the wildland firefighter foundation. So once again, Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. What is it that they do, you might ask? Well, it is a digital collection, a digital archive, if you will, of stories relating to wildland firefighting dating all the way back to the 1940s. They have a collection of over 100 of these digital stories, and it is awesome. It's a good trip down memory lane. It's a good trip uh, into a little history lesson, and they preserve the past by telling these stories. They also give back to the community. How do they do that? Well, they have teamed up with Mystery Ranch and Water Axe Pumps to uh, help facilitate some grants for you folks in the field. So if you guys happen to be telling the story of wildland firefighting here in North America, whether you're 
a writer, a blogger, a cinematographer, even a photographer. Well, now is your opportunity. Grants are open. The applications for the grants are open until May 20th, 2020. There's a limited number. There's only 12 that are going out and this is your last opportunity to apply. So by the time that this airs, well, you're going to have two days left to apply. So you better get on it. Anyways, Bethany, I have a huge respect for what you guys are doing over there, over at the uh, American wildfire experience and keep it up because it is awesome. It's preserving all those traditions and it's preserving our story. And I love that. Anyways, if you guys want to check out more, go over to www.americanwildfireexperience.org and check them out. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well. It is fire season. It is here. You guys should be all onboarded for the most part, at least. And uh, you guys should be making your way through Criticals Week and you guys should be ready and turnkey and ready to go here soon. But with that being said, you guys have just gotten past your RT-130 classes, right? All of your refresher training. So I decided that I was going to do a bit of a... I guess you can say a digital refresher series about the things that aren't really covered in RT-130. Some little interesting topics and tidbits and uh, some little things that could probably help you along the way as far as fire season goes. So one of those topics is going to be preseason mental health and during the season mental health. Not really covered a lot, right? Anyways, today on the show, I've got Dr. Minda O's. She is back for her third appearance, and she is going to talk about all those little tools that you can put in your toolbox for the season, whether that be family, getting your stuff in order as far as finances goes, because that's a big stressor. We even talk a little bit about COVID and how we didn't really get to decompress from the previous season. We get to get to really enjoy all those off-season opportunities that we typically get to enjoy and we also talk about the potential effects that has on the fire season as far as a mental standpoint so without further ado ladies and gentlemen i'd like to introduce for the third time dr minda o's welcome to the anchor point All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Minda O's, and that's Dr. Minda O's, <laughs> one of my favorite people in the entire world. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. Welcome back to the show. This is your third appearance, right? I know. I know. I'm so excited. I feel like uh, special that I get to come back three times. <laughs> See, we'll just we'll just book you quarterly from here on out. We just you know skip the skip the niceties. You're you're booked. <laughs> no, thank you. It's just uh, hey, you can't go wrong by doing quarterly you know checkups and check ins with mental health. So exactly, and that's what you primarily specialize in is mental mm-hmm. health. You're a clinician out of Southern California, and you specialize in firefighters. 
Yes, I see some cops too and EMS, but for the most part, uh, a big part of my caseload is fire. Which is a good thing because we need it. Yeah. Oh, you're not joking. (laughs) (laughs) You guys keep me busy uh, for years to come. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so for those people who haven't listened to your previous episodes, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Well, um, I was a first responder years ago and uh, drove an ambulance in the area that I live in, Southern California. I um, also worked in an ER. And then I met my husband. He was a paramedic for CDF, which is now Cal Fire, but um, got married and had some kids. We've been together this year, it'll be 25 years. Um, and I started going to school uh, just because I needed something to do and realized, hey, I like psychology. And I really, I remember how hard it was being in the field and watching, then watching my husband as a spouse struggle with it. And I was thinking, you know, I really want to get back into it. So that's what kind of led me back to it, to change the environment, to change the stigma, to change how we talk about it. I don't want it to be a thing anymore where we don't talk about it because, you know, if you've been in this field 10 plus years, you came from the suck it up generation and it just doesn't work. Uh, studies, there are so many studies you could look up, suck it up doesn't work. And I just wanted to be part of changing that, especially since my son is a firefighter, um, just became a firefighter. He was a hot shot. Uh, he was, uh, worked for Cal fire. Now he's at West Covina fire, but I want it to be different for him. I want, you know, him to realize that he doesn't have to suck it up. And I think him understanding that it's not if this career changes you, but when and being prepared. So, and I wrote a book about all this stuff to kind of put it out there. I, I, I really realized like, oh my gosh, uh, fire families, even first responder families, any, you know, military cops, we live a different life. We have a different set of rules, but nobody gave us the rules. So I, that's why I wrote the book, just to kind of make everybody feel normal in our chaotic, crazy first responder families. Nice. And uh, I love your book, by the way. Thank you. Fully Involved Life. Love it. Yes. Shout out yeah. to your book. And uh, you Thank can still you. find that on Amazon. And mm-hmm. uh, have you uh, thought about doing the audiobook version yet? The audibles. I have. I've had a couple people ask me, but what is the way I like try to say and in the book, I, I try to stay very authentic and, you know, and I do share some of the struggles that my husband and I had in the beginning of our marriage and I'm very vulnerable and open in it. So if I did the audibles, it'd have to be everybody because my kids wrote a chapter about growing up in it. So we'd all have to do it. I'd have to get us together. So I've been procrastinating because it seems overwhelming. <laughs> the task of <laughs> recording the whole book is, but everybody, keep, people keep asking me. So yeah. I, maybe that's what I do this, this year is do that. I think you should make it a mission. You should do it. I know. I know. Plus you got a good, you got a good voice. Come on. Let's be honest. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know how everybody hates their own voice on, on radio, but a lot of people said they would think it would be funny to hear the banter between my husband and I that's in the book. I think it'd be awesome, especially if you guys did like uh, the book read and then you had extra like audio commentary. I think that'd be badass. That'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. I think it's beneficial. It just makes us all feel normal that we're not all crazy. We're all crazy in our own sense, but yeah, Yeah, but we share (laughs) the same crazy, at least in this, in this world. Exactly. Yeah. So what else you guys got going on over there? (sighs) For where I live or my business stuff? Business, what you got going on in SoCal? Uh, Oh, not, I mean, you know, we've got the COVID stuff that's changed everybody's life, but Mm -hmm. 
you know, and fire season's approaching. So that's going on in our lives. And, um, you know, I definitely have been a part of a couple more, um, panels with, uh, fire scope. I sit on a committee that they made a permanent committee that is outlining, um, criteria and requirements for culturally competent clinicians and peer support so that we have a standardization at least, um, because I think first responders are seeing how valuable having a culturally competent clinician is versus a clinician that has no understanding of this world. So we've set up some guidelines that will go into uh, whatever ordering system because they're changing it to IROC. But yeah, it's not Ross anymore. It's IROC. It's not Ross anymore. It's IROC. But they they created uh, mnemonics for peer support and the clinicians that can be ordered now that will go into IROC. So I'm pretty excited about that Um, because we're getting it. We're getting the clue that there's a certain type of clinician and peer support we need to be beneficial. That's awesome. That's cool though. And and you're also saying that you're kind of formulating a plan to put these, uh, these personnel into fire Mm -hmm. camps and have them integrated as like a satellite Mm -hmm. branch of like your command structure, basically. Right. Well, yes. So what they'll do is, is if they get on scene, you know, like if a team is deployed or if it's just a large scale incident and, uh, peer support, uh, gets there first, they will evaluate what is needed and then they can create their own team that will fall under the ICS. It'll fall under the liaison in the, in the command structure to that, that the peer support and the clinician will report directly to liaison or IC. And that way there's more, um, span of control for the clinicians and peer support, but the peer will get there first, evaluate what they need and then order, then they'll be able to order up clinicians, canines, even possibly chaplains in the future as well. That's awesome. No, it's yeah. about time. It's a, you know, it's high time yeah. that we have programs like this integrated into fire camp, you know, cause sometimes shit gets rough. I mean, I mean, look at the campfire that was oh. gnarly. Yeah, that was, it, it was, and they did have clinicians and peers and dogs all over the place with that. And they even, um, which I was pretty, um, well on the Woolsey fire, they brought in behavioral health Um, counselors from the county, they weren't necessarily culturally competent, but they paired them with peers and went out with them in the community and uh, were there as community, as residents were going back to their homes to see what was left. And um, it had rave reviews and it worked out really well. So stuff, more expansion in mental health, because I think we're all realizing that this job is there's a reason that they're called heroes. It's not because of what you do. It's because of the burden that you bear, but you still show up. Oh yeah. And that's the thing, yeah. man. It's like, especially like <laughs> you wouldn't, when you're, at least when you're, uh, maybe not so much wildland per se, but you know, when you're a first responder EMS or a, uh, mm-hmm. structure firefighter, or even a LEO a law enforcement, you show up to 99% of someone's worst days. That's all you respond to. So that's got to yep. take a burden on you. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's only so much that like the human psyche and soul can handle, you know, after a while, especially if you don't have good outlets or you weren't taught those skills, you just assume you've got to carry it and there's no outlet, but you know, and that's my mission. And I know yours, right. Is to get the, get the information out there that you have to be proactive. You have to be constantly, 
you know, emptying the cup so that you've got room to fill it back up if you want to last 30 years and come out somewhat sane. And there's that whole uh, keyword where it's a, it's a buzzword, uh, resiliency. So I think building some of those tools for resiliency, I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. a very overused term and I think uh, we probably should change some of that vocabulary maybe, but uh, yeah, I think that it's making a change for better. And where it starts is it's changing with folks like you, and then it's trickling into structure. It's trickling yeah. into law enforcement. It's trickling into EMS, but also mm-hmm. it's ultimately coming down to wildland, especially because we have our own unique little satellite view yep. of what's going on. We still have our own traumas. We still have mm-hmm. our own stuff to deal with, our own shit to deal with, but it's different. So yeah. we got to kind of adapt like that. And I think that the the feds get left out of a lot of things because people assume that wildland is just that. You're just out fighting fire. You're just guarding some piece of dirt and there's no harm or stress to that. But that's not the case. And I think that your podcast and even the Forest Service is getting more aware and proactive about providing things and recognizing that, you know, that you guys struggle as much as municipals do. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's different, but we definitely struggle. Mm -hmm. We definitely struggle. And I got the data set to prove it as as you've seen. (laughs) I know it's, it's, it's amazing. I love that you did that. And for wildland, because it's missing, you know, uh, even I know that, um, I've, sat on the cadre for behavioral health and cancer awareness for the state fire marshals. And just the simple fact that there are no studies about exposure for wildland firefighters of carcinogens. There's nothing out there really that says, Hey, here's what are some risks. Here's, you know, some things you need to be aware of, you know, is huge. That shows right there. They don't even think you guys are going to get cancer because you're out fighting fire. Well, that's the whole thing too, is like, it's even the way we're classified. We're classified as technicians, which is not a professional service. Right. Kind of, uh, yeah, it frustrates me, but that's an ongoing frustration across the entire community, but maybe one day it'll change and I hope it does. No, it, I'm, it is. I mean, already I see it like I did, and this will be a total shout out obviously to the Angelus, but the Angelus forest hit me up and asked me to come speak to their, all their leaders before the season starts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they gave me three hours and I talked literally about what is, what is trauma, stress, compassion, fatigue all look like? And what is your role as leaders to change that culture within the forest service? And, um, it was amazing. They, you know, they were just like, wow, I wish we'd had this years ago, you know? So, I think the Forest Service is coming along. You just know. I mean, you know as well as I do, the feds are always kind of the last to make changes. I think they're afraid of giving up, you know, the the traditions and all the little nuances that are unique to Forest Service. Mm-hmm. That and it's also a very large bureaucracy as well. And those enormous yeah. cogs turn extraordinarily slow yes. as well. So, but it's getting yeah. better. It's, it's being recognized at this point, which is good, but that's exactly why we're having this episode today. So we can go yep. off on our own little chant tangent and uh, yeah, we can talk about it. So yep. today's episode is going to be all about preseason mental health or even during season if you want. But yeah, that's the whole idea and premise behind the show. So let's take it away. 
well, if we're going to, let's talk about like regular, uh, fire season, mental prep, um, because we're going to have to address this season because of the COVID, but regular season prep, you know, is that you've been off and hopefully you've been, you know, catching up with family. You've been maybe out on some vacations. You've been doing some fun things, you know, you've been integrated back into your family, you know, and now it's time to go back and you have to prepare the exit. Like you prepared the entry. Like we talked about on the last episode, which was off season mental health. And we talked about all the things you have to do for not only yourself, but your family to get them ready for you being home all the time. Same thing, just in reverse of, you know, getting ready to be gone again and, you know, preparing your kids, your spouses, significant others to get back on that routine of them being gone. And it's things like conversations that you're having, you know, remember dad or mom's going in, in a month, like countdown. Mm -hmm you know, like have it on the calendar, like countdown. So everybody's mentally gearing up for mom and dad leaving, um, or husband and wife leaving. And, you know, in that time you plan out, okay, listen, I'm going to be gone in four weeks. So let's plan a camping trip. Let's plan some extra things, extra time, family time before it gets to that point. So you're planning all these things too. And now mm-hmm. we come to this season, which has its own unique set of challenges. We have COVID. We weren't mm-hmm. necessarily able to do all these things just because of the coronavirus lockdown, all this other stuff, all these, I guess, yep. compounding events. I mean, so now we're kind of behind as far as getting our shit together for the season. Well, you didn't get the off season to decompress you literally the forest service um and even a lot of our municipals if you look at it all around didn't get time to decompress and like okay i feel refreshed i feel ready to get at it again um no they're gonna start back up right out of the gates already full because whatever's going on in your household due to the covid whether you know, your spouse or significant other was out of work, you know, in your off season. So now you're getting unemployment, you know, was that enough to pay your bills? Um, also the whole fact of kids being home way sooner than people were, were anticipating and having to do homeschooling, or if you're homeschooling and you're working from home, plus you got to do your homeschooling. Like there's a lot of layers that just kind of keep piling up and piling up. And the fact that we couldn't even get out, um, you know, for fresh air and nature, you know, which is a lot of things that if you look at it, firefighters do, they're very yeah. nature, super outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's one thing that sucks though. I mean, we, I, I had to work from home. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, I don't have kids or anything like that, but it's really hard to have two puppies, a wife, and then having like a, a film studio basically set up in my mm-hmm. upstairs living room and doing all this shit. It just seems like you have so much outside distractions just bearing down on you. So you have any tips or tricks to like deal with that in case you're still telecommuting or teleworking, working from home, whatever you want to call it. Well, unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, but I think it does push us out of our comfort zone to get creative. You know, that knowing, I think it gives you a really good look at how good are your coping skills actually, you Mm -hmm. know, did you have solid ones or maybe you didn't have such solid ones or, you know, what do you do 
when those coping skills aren't available? Do you have a big enough list of coping skills? So even for me, my main coping skill is working out. But like we were saying, talking earlier before we started, I have a hard time, like a lot of people, self-motivating. So, you know, yes, all of our gyms posted stuff. We could Zoom workout. We could, you know, all these things that they tried to accommodate. But for me, it was more stressful than, a, a, you know, than something decompressing because it was so like, I'm just not a self-motivator to work out by myself. So that was my main um, coping skill. And I got a good look at myself through the COVID that I don't have enough coping skills. Like I rely heavily on going to the gym and working out. And when I didn't have that, it was, a, it was a blow to me. Like, shit, I think I need to reevaluate my list. Yeah. So I think that that for everybody, they've had to look at that. Like, what are some things you can do? And I mean, uh, I know it sounds corny, but honestly, game night, you know, is with your family. Blast out the games and and play game, you know, fun games with your family. The other night, my um, my daughter was here with her husband, and I kid you not, we played Name That Tune with her <laughs> with her playlist, and uh, it was hilarious because we got into oldies and and I've never laughed so hard just hanging out in the backyard playing Name That Tune off of somebody's playlist. No, that's a good idea. That well, I I I'd highly suggest avoiding playing games like Monopoly because we know both of us know that that makes best friends enemies, mortal yes, it enemies. <laughs> it does. I and I'm like awful. I'm not allowed to play board games in my house because I'm so competitive mm. that I'll accuse everybody of ganging up on me. <laughs> That's because <laughs> so, they are. <laughs> they are. I know they are. But I. But you know, like finding those funny games, not necessarily the competitive games, but like the funny games that you can play, you know, uh, there's adult games and kid games, you know, like my kids are adults now. So cards against humanity is hilarious, you know, and there's no competition really. It's just hilarious. It's just good old fashioned fun. I wouldn't necessarily call it clean fun, of course, but it's not clean fun at all. So, <laughs> you know, it's not something you play with little kids, but you know, there are games that are non-competitive. I think, you know, getting creative, uh, you know, being going on walks and, um, you know, taking your dogs for, I think my dog is up actually sick of walking at this point. <laughs> He's revolting, I think at this point, but, um, just being creative, going on hikes and, you know, we just found a fire road and went on a hike cause the trails were all closed. Um, like I said, I started, um, a new hobby trying, I hate running with my whole being, but I was like, let me try to challenge myself. And so I've been trying to improve my running with, you know, an app that I could download that talked me through it. So there was that. Um, I've read more, uh, done some more research, I think, on different things and looking at documentaries and I don't know, just informing myself. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, is like you can either squander this opportunity and just crawl Mm -hmm. into a case of beer every night. Or you can like take this opportunity to, you know, learn something or improve yourself. And that's the thing too, is like, you can even improve your relationships even without the COVID. I mean, with the COVID thing, but without that close personal contact of like going over to your folks house. I mean, I've come to the point where I've just been doing zoom meetings with like my aunt and uncle or my Mm -hmm. grandparents or whatever. And I don't know, just sit there and BS and I'll cook dinner. She'll, she'll be on zoom, you know, something as easy as that. Just thinking outside the box, I guess. 
Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing, you're right. And one of the biggest things that I hear all the time when I have couples in therapy and they're struggling is that they don't make time for their marriage or their relationship or their family. And they constantly tell me, I don't have time. I don't have time. The kids got to be here. I got to do this. I got to make dinner. I got to work. Then I got to get up and start all over again. And I think this, this really gave the opportunity for you to have that time. And I hope I'm really praying that people will keep um, a play out of this playbook and keep the family connection and time and not slip right back into the overscheduled that a lot of families do is they overschedule their kids themselves, you know, all that. But a big issue that I'm seeing too, that we have to consider is, is marriages that weren't good to start with going into the COVID and now they're all stuck at home with each other. That's been a huge issue that I'm seeing. And I don't know that people are talking about it as much, but if you're stuck at home and you and your spouse or significant other weren't doing well, now you're stuck together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it's hard though. I mean, I understand it too. And I mean, especially if you're coming to a, 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 I guess a position where you're kind of locked with each other in a house, you know, and you weren't good to begin with. I could definitely Mm -hmm. see the headbutting happening even more so it's even more amplified because you can't escape it right and you add all the stresses of what's going on you're stuck at home financial food if your kids are at home and you're homeschooling you just keep adding these layers to a foundational relationship that wasn't strong anyways and so it's i'm seeing couples that you know are making rash decisions out of this you know tenuous time and and after any trauma or anything big, one of the biggest things that the mental health professionals will tell first responders is do not make any life altering decisions in a moment of crisis. Don't, don't make a career decision, relationship or financial decisions while you're in the midst of a crisis or trauma, because you're going to make it out of an irrational decision versus logically deciding, okay, this isn't going to work. Yeah. You're, you're, thought processes are just clouded. I mean, we got, that's all we hear about too today is like, Mm -hmm. we just hear about COVID or this or Mm -hmm. that or anything. It's just nothing but negativity. Right. So I I can't imagine that would be good for your mental health. So no, and negativity will attitude itself is contagious. Oh yeah. So negativity is just as contagious as positivity. And I think as humans, we tend to end up being more negative because we, especially firefighters, right? You think about the fire community, their job is to fix the problem, right? There's fire and destruction. Your job is, is to go stop that, right? To, to control the chaos. And so it's just brainwashed. So when there's a problem in the house or in your personal life, and I talk about that work brain, home brain thing, you try to bring work brain home and solve it from this operational task driven mindset it's never going to work and you want to fix everything. So you're going to look at things negative with like, okay, what's not working and what can I, how can I fix it as opposed to what's working and how can I do more of it? Yeah. And then sometimes you just drown yourself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then you start to really buy into like, my life sucks. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. I don't have this. I wish I had this. And then you just like really feel like, man, my life really sucks. But I always challenge people Make a list every morning to start your day with five things that are good about your life. Five. That's not a lot. 
No. You know, that are, you're grateful for that are good because it sets your mind the minute you get up that that's how your day is going is, is that these are the things that I have that are good and working and, you know, and focus on how do I do more of it. And just kind of building that positivity and those like steps mm-hmm. to success, I guess you could say, as far as yeah. starting your day out. Yeah. And I know it sounds corny. Some people may be like, oh, but easier said than done, right? Like, I don't have anything good. We all have something good in our lives that we are grateful for. And, you know, it's, it's honestly, that is the crux of what resiliency is, is it's just changing your perspective on life. And if you tend to be negative or you focus on what's not working, it puts you in a victim kind of state of mind because you feel like it's everything's done to me or nothing goes right. I can't catch a break or all these things are wrong. So then you kind of get into this woe is me mindset versus, okay, here's what I have that's working. Let me focus on doing more of that or focus on what's working because that's your action then is a positive. It's a proactive rather than negative. I gotcha. Just kind of building those, those steps. Yeah. Yeah. It's just building those steps. And, you know, it's, I I would challenge also when I, right now, you know, for anybody listening to this podcast today is if your marriage or your family life isn't going so well, don't make a decision right now. You know, don't call it quits. Don't end it. Let's wait till this stuff subside, you know, and maybe look into getting some counseling to kind of figure out because, you know, maybe the COVID did point out some weaknesses or weak spots or uh, things you could work on. It doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean your marriage is not fixable. You know, I believe a hundred percent all marriages are fixable if both people want to work on it. Yeah. Well, so you could just get help. Yeah. And that's the thing. You have to work for those things. I mean, marriage is work. Straight marriage and up. parenting. <laughs> yeah, Listen, parenting too. Yeah. I, if I would rather go get a PhD again, then, you know, that was easier than parenting and being a spouse because we bring our issues to the marriage, to the relationship. And then we're trying to, you know, live with each other. And sometimes we pick people in our lives that trigger our issues. You know, it's just kind of that repeating of a cycle. And, uh, I think if you're just honest with yourself, because listen, we're all flawed, all of us, we are all screwed up. Just some of us are screwed up at different levels. And the sooner you admit it and just own your, your crap, it's just like this weight off of you. Like, okay, this is something I do. I need to work. I can work on it. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, once you identify those, those weak points, especially mm-hmm. our culture being like yes. work on fixing problems kind of culture, mm-hmm. you know, you could actually build to it. You know, once you identify the problem, well, then you could start, start uh, making solutions to them. Right. And I think another thing that helps, like when we talk about preparing for going back to the season is that, you know, you know, we never know what season it's going to be every year. They say it's going to be the worst fire season ever. Mm -hmm. They say that, you know, every year and some, I mean, 17 was pretty bad. So, right. I, I, I I will be scared to death if we beat 17, 2017. But, um, I think that you, prepare a schedule with your significant other and your kids for those two days off. What do the two days off look like, you know, and maybe writing out a schedule, like when mom and dad come home, they need 30 minutes to unwind, do whatever, right. Whether it's go shower, go for a walk. I don't know what, you know, whatever it is that you like to do, that's 30 minutes worth, right. Before 
the family sucks you into the honeydew list and talking your ear off. You set that up that you need, like you just can't walk in the door and you're ready to go hard. Like you need this time to decompress. So set that up and then set up what does the two days look like? You know, um, are, is the firefighter going to take over the house schedule and do stuff in the house or are they going to get a honeydew list? What, what does that look like in your family and kind of, um, like a skeleton schedule, like, uh, eight to nine or nine to 10 or eight to 10, the kids get up and have breakfast and just kind of have free time. And then we try to do an activity from here to here, you know, like, a, a just blocks so that firefighters, um, during season they're you're regimented, you have schedules. Yeah. Right. So the best thing to do for your firefighter or for yourself is have a, a loose schedule when they walk in the door for their two days off, not drill them. Like I need you here at this very minute, every time, all parts of the day. But if they know what's expected and they know when they walk in the door, listen, this is what the day looks like. They'll know where they fit in. So that's another preseason kind of setup for what are the days off look like. So not overwhelming yourself, but also working together. That's definitely yes. critical. Well, because one of the issues that I had that I talk about in the book that my husband and I struggled with significantly was when he would come home, I was a stay home mom for about 12 years. And so it was my house. (laughs) I took care of everything. I had a schedule, you know, it was my station basically. And what I found myself doing when he would come home is it was just easier to kind of leave him out, you know, than to include him because it felt like more work to explain to him what needed to be done. So he would go to help and I'd be like, no, 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 that's not how you do it. That's not how we do it. That's not our schedule. Okay. Just go find something else to do. So I kind of would kick him out of the family on his days off because it just seemed overwhelming until we started having conversations like the night before he was coming home. And he'd say, what is the day? What does tomorrow look like? And what do you need me to do? Cause then I could plug him in where it worked best for the schedule. And it wasn't this fight of him trying to guess where to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- we were, com- we were coming up with a plan for the day off. Right. Otherwise he would just flounder around and not do anything and figure out. And then he'd just get frustrated because everything he did, I'd be like, no, don't do that. Well, that's the thing too, is it just seems like it kind of boils down to not necessarily the schedule, just basically the communication aspect of it. That's, that's probably going to be the most important part. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's the schedule is just an idea. Obviously, you know, there's no cookie cutter way, but within your family and your dynamic, you have to sit down and conversate about what do your days off look like? You know, regular people don't have to have these conversations, right? Cause they're home every night and weekends usually, Yeah. but for you guys, for any fire, you know, for a service, two weeks with two days off. I mean, during when it's not jumping, I know they get to go home at night. Yeah. But it's still, the hours are super varied. I mean, you could be working, you know, you could pop an IA and work a 32 yeah. or you can be eight hour days in a row. And then all of a sudden you're working a 12 and then you'd be right. an extension, all this other stuff. So it's kind of, I mean, it's regimented in the fact that we have our set duties during the day at certain times, you know, you PT, you do briefing, yada, 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 you do station duties. But then when you come home, you don't have that. 
that's when I could see it getting, that's where the problems, exactly. That's where the problems happen. You know, it's like once you're off season and you've adjusted to being off, you get into the flow of the family routine you figure out where you fit and you guys start working as a team, but now you're going back to work and you got to get back into that routine. So, you know, the idea, you know, of just starting the season and thinking that it'll just do its thing, or you've been married 10 years and you're like, he or she knows how to do this. Not necessarily. You got, yeah. it's a mindset, you know how to do it, but it takes longer to kind of get into it. But if you're prepping like, you know, a month out, four weeks out on the schedule with the kids and the, and the family, okay, we got three weeks left. Right. And coming up with that plan looks like if they come home at night or all of a sudden don't come at home at night, what is that family going to do if they need help or they need babysitting, you know? So my question to you is, I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot about like the married with family, the kids, the dog, you know, that kind of stuff. But now what about your people that are perhaps in a relationship and have a significant other or even your single folks? Yes. Single folks, you know, I mean, obviously it's a little bit easier for them to get back into the routine of, of fire once you get back. But the mental prep is kind of the same in the sense of, you know, especially with the COVID, you haven't had as much um, decompress, fun, you know, let loose kind of days. So you're going to probably start the season more stressed. I think everybody in any department is going to start the season a little bit more stressed than they normally would have because the outlets were taken away. So I think being aware that people are going to be maybe more irritable or snappy at first. Um, but the single people, you know, it's good and bad one. You don't have to like have this conversation about what do my days off look like, but you also need to know what do your days off look like? You know, you can't, I mean, day one, a lot of times people are just exhausted and they lay around or they just play video games or watch movies or get caught up on Netflix, (laughs) get caught up on a Netflix show. Right. Yeah. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But making sure you're not, you know, isolating too much that maybe on the second day you reach out to friends and family and get connected or plan. Hey, I'm going to be off, you know, Wednesday and Thursday. How about Thursday? We go grab lunch or we go for a walk or we go on a hike or we play video games together. You know, I don't you know what I mean? Like hang out and do stuff or or have dinner together, Um, but not isolating too much if you're a single person, because it's easy to do. Oh, yeah. No one holds you accountable. Well, that's the thing too, is like, you don't have to, when I was a single dude, I mean, I didn't have to answer to anybody. I could just do whatever mm-hmm. the hell I wanted, but you know, I tried yeah. to fulfill it with, or, well, I tried to do things that were fulfilling to me, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not really the case. You can't just go take a surfing trip down to, you know, Santa Cruz if you wanted to these days. Right. And no, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right, especially with the COVID stuff. But, you know, I think the other thing that has to be at least acknowledged is that even without COVID first responders lean towards drinking as a coping skill. It's just the culture. I mean, let's all be honest. It's just is the culture. There's nothing wrong with it in general terms, right? But it's when it's your number one go-to that it becomes a problem, especially with all this COVID stuff. I I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't even realize like on your days off, like even here for our house, I drink way more days, not quantity, but more days than I ever have because 
I'm sitting around the house for three straight days with nothing to do. So it's kind of like, Hey, you want a beer? Yeah, let's have a beer, you know? So it's just easy to then start doing it more and more and more. And we just want to be careful about using that as our go-to coping skill, because, you know, you can become an accidental alcoholic without even knowing it. Yeah. Just kind of fall into that trap and it's a steep slope too. It really is. And especially I really see it more for the feds in the, in the reason of is when, when the fire season gets crazy and you're only getting two days off, like two days isn't enough to decompress. It no, really no, it's isn't. Not. It's not. So you're just trying to do your best, you know, and trying to please everybody. You don't want to let anybody down. You miss your family. But by the time you get home for that two days, like day one, like you just want to sleep. You're tired. You just don't want to deal with people, but you got, but you want to be with your family. So it's this very, you know, double life that you're trying to live. So the quickest way to decompress for a lot of people, if you only got two days off is grab a couple beers and that will chill you out. So just got to be careful about that. And again, I fear, I'm very concerned about what this season is going to look like after the COVID without people getting that opportunity to be refreshed and starting out full already. That's another thing too. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's own set of like super unique challenges and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just don't know what it's going to look like in three, four months. I mean, it could just, you know, yeah. kind of just panned out and worked out. But there's also the stark reality on the other side of that spectrum is that we start reopening the economy and we could just go back into a lockdown, which I hope to God isn't the case because right. I'm so sick of this shit. Oh, God. I am so over my own self. I just like, <laughs> I don't want to be with me anymore by my, these days. I just want to get back like, it's nice. I think I realize it's nice to have distractions sometimes, you know, it's, that is a mental break, you know, it's not being in your head so much. And when you have this kind of weird downtime with nothing to do, we can get in our heads and overthink situations and be our worst, our own worst enemy about things. It's the truth though. I mean, loneliness is a killer. Mm -hmm. Just straight up. It is. Humans, we're pack creatures. We're not meant to be alone. I mean, we're really not. And so, you know, in this situation, especially with people that are home alone or don't have significant others and we're kind of trapped by themselves, I can't imagine how that feels. You know, that's got to feel pretty crappy at this point. And some people may be itching to get back because they just want to, you know, talk to people and do normal things. So, you know, it may not be all negative going back. You know, these are just our speculations of how I think looking at both sides could be super excited to go back or super overwhelmed to go back. Well, that's the thing too, is also like everybody's different and not all Mm -hmm. suffering is the same. Not all of it is the same. It's, 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 I mean, yeah, there's a shared suffering when when you're in the culture and out on the line, Mm -hmm. but not everybody suffers the same way. And the thing I found is, um, you know, and I know he put it out there for everybody to see, but that letter that Aaron put out and wrote Humphrey. Yeah. Humphreys was so eye opening of how much he was suffering and struggling in silence. Um, just with the basic season, you know what I mean? Not nothing out of the ordinary, just this basic season and the pressures 
that, you know, he felt as a soup and as a husband and as a father and didn't tell anybody, didn't reach out and just kind of drowned it in his own suffering and, and didn't, you know, talk to people. And, yeah. And that's the thing, man. It's like, we all feel that way, but we also don't talk about it. Like he's got, we're afraid people will think we're weak or we can't handle the job. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, that's a whole, all suffering is not created equally. The, I, you, mm-hmm. I believe you coined that phrase first show that mm-hmm. we did, but it's true. Like, and especially when you start working your way up, ha- up the ladder, you know, it, it gets, it gets harder and harder and yeah. harder. You have more burden. You're not mm-hmm. only experiencing the burden of your own suffering, but the burden of your crew as well. Exactly. And it changes. And I think that people forget that when you move up the chain, that it just, you have the stressors that everybody else has, but now you've added these levels of people expect you to lead, to keep them safe. You know, I know when my son went off to his first season as a hotshot, I asked my husband, I said, does he, does this soup realize the responsibility that he has that I alone am putting on him to return my son to me. Yeah. Like that's a huge pressure to be responsible for somebody's mother, father, son, daughter. Like that's huge. Oh yeah. And that's the thing too. I mean, we discussed this in our last episode with Russell and, uh, or two episodes ago with Russell. And it's like, the thing is the truth, the ugly truth of this job is that everybody wants to deny that shit can happen. Mm Mm-hmm. No one wants to talk about it. And we talked about the uh, Lessons Learned Center and the uh, big lie that they published. Uh, I believe it was 2016. But it's the truth. We don't want to address this stuff. Mm-hmm. No, because, you know, it's just like yesterday. I don't know if you heard in the news and, and people, you know, listening. L.A. City had the 10 firefighters. Explosion. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there is actual footage of it. And, and I see everybody posting it on social media and I put a PSA out and I said, listen, spouses, significant others do not look at this. Like I don't need to see what I know in my head can happen. I don't need the actual visual of what that will look like. Um, and I think it's just, I don't know that it's a great idea to post that kind of stuff because families are already freaking out about what you guys do for a living, right? We do our best to just suck it up, be strong and usher you out the door and support your choices. And so we have to be very careful um, because some, I was going to sound crazy, but some denial for family is needed to survive. I cannot sit and think all day long about what could happen to my son or husband when they walk out the door. I'll be nuts. Yeah. You'll drive yourself into a corner. You'll go crazy. Yeah. So the all reality is, is yes, I know we all know that you could walk out the door and not come back. But do I think about it every day? No, I can't. I cannot think about it. So, you know, with social media, it, you know, and you can put these raw things out there, like, I don't think it's a great idea because also let's say you've got kids that are on social media. Now kids are looking at that and worrying and a different level about, you know, their mom, dad going out the door to that. So I think we have to be very careful about how real do we need to get about the dangers of the job? Like, does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, you need to be, you know, 
aware of your own mortality when you step foot off the buggy or the helicopter or the engine, you know, or right. wherever, even driving down the road is dangerous. I mean, right. I mean, there's been incidents where, you know, things have happened on the road and that's just, that's the thing. You can't get caught up in, you can't get caught up in the fact of being fearful of like what's yes. going to happen. Cause that's just going to do a lot more worse, a lot worse things than, you know, just being yeah. aware of your own, own mortality. So, I mean, it's just how we approach it, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, you guys have to have a mindset too. I mean, could you imagine trying to do your job if you were terrified every day of what could happen? You wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't enjoy it. You wouldn't love it. So there is some sense of like denial that comes with this career choice, because I don't know if it's denial as opposed to just, you kind of put it in the back of your mind, you know, it's there, you know, you've been trained, you know, you have to take precautions, but those family members or even um, the new guys, the rookies coming in, you know, this will be their first season. They don't know. They know, but they don't know. Yeah. Right. In theory, they know that this is dangerous, but in practice, they haven't experienced it. They haven't been out there yet. And even when you're young in your career, I mean, you're kind of naive to what's actually mm -hmm. dangerous and you don't, you don't, you just don't know. You know, it's yeah. something that comes with experience. Well, it's like in, you know, I mean, in your twenties, right. It, you don't even know your own mortality yet. No, and you're so 10 you're foot just tall and bullet, bulletproof. Not me. I'll have somebody else. Like I know what I'm doing. You know, it's like you literally believe not me. And so what happens is, is with, you know, when you show these videos and people are seeing firsthand, what you're doing is, is you're launching these young kids that have zero clue or ability to understand mortality. You're pushing them into that stage before they're cognitively even ready. Yeah. Now they're viewing what could happen. Pretty wild. That, and it's, it's a very small community too. So word travels fast. So if like something ever yeah. were to happen, I mean, don't, don't share it. Don't talk about it. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, and the fact is, is that now with social media, the other thing that I have experienced is, is that social media gets the story out before a proper notification can happen. And that's what I'm talking about. <sighs> That's so, and it's so hard. And I get that people want to like show support and, you know, you know, send out prayers and, and let people know so you can reach out. Cause that is one of the beautiful things of the fire com community being a part of the fire family is if you are in need as a fire family, it doesn't matter what department, it doesn't matter the patch, right? People show up for you. And that is one of the blessings of fire families. Well, it's, yeah, it's a family. That's, that's the whole thing. It's your extended family. It might not be your blood or anything like that, but they'll, they'll bleed for you. That's for damn sure. You get, I mean, and that's, again, the positives is you get two sets of family, you know, that can look out for you if something happens and, you know, be there for you even if it's, you know, not a line of duty, but even just an injury, like, like these, you know, these 10 guys that are injured, you know, I think two or three of them were critical. So LA city and other neighboring departments will flood those families in that department with love and support and will embrace them and help them get through this. You don't find that in most other careers. No, no, you're not going to get that as like, you know, an mm -hmm. accountant for some accounting firm. You're just not going to find right. that. It's a unique brotherhood in that fact. For sure. I agree. But I think these are all things, you know, uh, if we go back to like preseason and thinking about our new guys, the rookies, their first season, I remember, you know, my son before he went off as a hotshot, he was so excited 
but it was based on this idea of what he thought it was. Oh yeah. Expectations versus reality right there. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't realize, you know, I mean, he understood he grew up in a fire family, so he understood how to be a rookie. He understood how to play the game. He understood about being low man on the totem pole. He understood about having to prove himself, you know, in fire, you've got to prove your worth. Just because you got the job doesn't mean that you've proven it. You've got to prove it. Exactly. You got to earn your stripes, so to speak. But that's an excellent point to bring up, though, is like, so there's a lot of rookies coming on right now. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about the like rookie experience, because this is valuable for these guys out and girls Mm -hmm. out there. So our culture is a very hard culture. Mm -hmm. We are brash. We're kind of hardcore and we don't take shit from people. Right. But your perception as that of, of, of that culture you know, coming into it, I, I could, there's a lot of challenges that you're going to have to realize and you have to overcome mm-hmm. because you're not going to be accepted immediately. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like, if you are a person that didn't grow up in it or weren't around it, then it will be overwhelming at first, you know, because like you said, you know, you have to prove yourself. You have to, there is the, sarcasm there's the dark humor there's one screw up you do and they will joke about it for like a whole two weeks right that that you will be the butt of the joke oh yeah and i i think that um that if you're not prepared or know that like i think rookies um know that that's coming what's that noise i have no idea that is (laughs) it might be the wind it is like 80 mile an hour winds outside of my house right now. So uh, maybe, uh, but is that just to be aware that you will be the butt of most jokes, you will get the shitty assignment. You mm-hmm. will, you know, be in charge of the chalk block, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> don't forget you, it. <laughs> don't forget it or you'll wear it for the rest of the, <laughs> the deployment right around oh, your yeah. neck. But, you know, in those, though, that's part of the tradition. And you've got to know that coming in, that it's not a personal attack on you is part of the tradition and the, you know, what people get into the fire service for is for that kind of camaraderie and joking and all the stuff that that comes with it. You know, you don't get, you know, as well as I do, you don't get a nickname out of any sort of fire service from anything good you did. Nope. Sure. The hell don't. And once you get a nickname, it is yours forever. It doesn't matter how good you do. Like that one screw up. It, it, that's your nickname for life. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I know I've got mine out there and I know a couple of people that have given me that nickname, listen to the show. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I think that's really important that even I wasn't experienced, I wasn't expecting nor my son was not all leaders are good. This is true. So if you're 18, 19, and you just, this is what you've always wanted to do. And you're super excited and you end up on a crew that maybe doesn't have the best leader. Don't let that leader squash your dreams. Don't let that bad leadership make you give up on fire completely. You know that you have to understand no matter what career you pick, there's bad leaders. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing too, is I mean, you have a lot of mobility in this career. So if you don't like it for the season, mm-hmm. you can go somewhere else. Yeah. It's easy. But you, I mean, yeah, but you just can't let somebody's negative attitude 
<clears throat> ruin something that you've always wanted to do. Yeah. Then, I mean, you got to stand up for yourself in a professional manner as well. I mean, don't be check check your ego at the door. Trust me, or else right. you're just going to get a, a huge yeah. target painted on your back. But also there's a respectful way of doing it and there's a professional way of doing it. But our 18 and 19 year olds, I don't think know this. So it's up to the veterans on the crew, you know, not necessarily the suit, but you know, the senior hotshot that's been on the crew for 10 years or the captain or somebody on the crew needs to mentor. Don't set up a situation to prove a point and let the rookies fail. That, that we don't want that. We want them to come back. We need their them to come back. We need them to love the job. So, I mean, yes, there's hazing and the traditions and, and that's okay. But when you become counterproductive to yourself and your crew, you're not serving anybody just because you want to keep tradition. Yeah, that too. And well, I mean, checking your ego goes for as, as well as your seasoned veterans, you know, mm-hmm. just because you have this tradition or whatever, this hazing thing, or you just like mm-hmm. to fuck with people. I mean, it, it happens, right. you know, mm-hmm. don't make it become such a toxic environment that no one's going to come back because it's going to kill your crew in the long run. Yep. People aren't going to do what not- you want them to do. Well, and you don't get the consistency of getting a crew back. You know, if you look at soups, I know I have friends that are soups that they rarely have open spots because they get returners so much because they've set up this environment that produces consistency and loyalty. But if you're a crew that has high turnover, you might want to look at your structure and look at how are you setting up the environment within your crew? Oh, absolutely. That the cool guy attitude though. I mean, Mm. (laughs) check your ego. I know it can be toxic real quick. And you know, it's, and for me, it's so counterproductive. I've had, I have had rookies in my office before um, because they couldn't say anything to anybody. And they were literally um, like close to being diagnosed with PTSD just from the hazing. Oh, wow. And it's like they, they would come home and they couldn't even relax or rest in, in their downtime because they were so anxious about going back, you know? And so they were always in this like, oh, high, high state of just arousal and tension. Just ramped up constantly even on their days off. And so that's where it becomes counterproductive, right? So that line between tradition and counterproductive is such a fine line and, you know, not being afraid within the crew to speak up because the rookie's not going to speak up. The rookie's just going to suffer in silence because they don't want to be seen as weak. And so if you're on a crew and you've been there for a while, you know, like that, you're right. That cool guy attitude, speak up and, you know, um, be the advocate of a healthy, but fun crew. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, go direct, you know, you don't have Mm -hmm. to like, I don't know how to really phrase it, but make a scene. You don't don't need to call people out in front of everybody. That's the last thing you want to do. No, cause that will, will not work. Especially if you go after somebody who's been there a while. Right. And so you pull that person aside and you just like, dude, chill out. Like yeah. you're, you don't need to be that hard on the new guy. 
you know, cut them a little slack, you know? Yeah, they don't know. And that, and they're going to be experiencing shit that they have never, ever seen and that the normal person would call like right. insane. And they're 18. And you think about this 18 and 19, that means just out of high school. Yeah. You don't know shit. You're a kid. You're a kid. You bear, you probably don't even know how to pay your own damn bills. I just almost spit out my coffee because he used to, <laughs> but then again, I've been there. I mean, I didn't know shit yes. when I first started. So I, I understand, you know, we all have been there, but yeah, I mean, that's another thing though. It's like, it's, it's fostering a good environment and mm-hmm. being, you know, proactive and identifying problems before they get big. That's a big mm-hmm. thing. Don't be part of the problem. I know that's, you know, old. don't be part of the problem, but you know, and it's okay to hang on to your traditions and the values that you like about the forest service. But again, without causing harm. Yeah. But then again, also it's, it's okay not to be okay. That's stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to start it's talking a, to is. each other. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, even let's say you go on a fire, right. And you're gone for your two weeks. Maybe you know, nothing big happened, but you're still just burnt out by doing the same thing over and over and not getting good sleep. And, you know, like I said, when I um, was on the Ferguson fire and I was in camp, you know, it was like Groundhog's Day. I've never been so dirty with clothes on, you know, like I had dirt everywhere in my teeth and my hair and the food was awful and it was hot and windy and it was miserable. So I didn't really have anything to bitch about big other than I'm over this. Yeah. And that happens too. I mean, you, if you're mopping up the same piece of line for five days in a row, it gets monotonous. It sucks. Okay. Go another hundred feet. Oh, okay. Another hundred feet. Another hundred feet. Yeah. I, I get it. But at the same time, it's a job. You gotta right. do it. But it, but it's the stressors. And that's what you're saying about like, let's, it's okay to not be okay. So it's okay to be burnt out and frustrated. And I think, uh, you know, like everybody allowing everybody to have their stress and not condemning them or making fun of them because they are burnt out by, like you said, on the same piece of dirt or they're just over it. They miss their families. It's hot. It's just a shitty assignment. Or it's just a long season. You come down to snap timber and you're just over Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, I, I think giving some people some grace is, it's a huge quality that we can have that will make, I think, firefighting a little bit more of a healthier environment. You're not taking away the traditions, but you're adding, what you're doing is you're just adding the other piece of letting people vent or have their moments of bitching. Well, that's the thing too. It's like, we're, like I said earlier, we're a pretty hard culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like harden that, harden the fuck up basically kind of people. But also you can yeah. be one of those hard asses or one of those dialed ass crews, just hardcore, but still be compassionate. It's finding that balance. Yes. A hundred percent. And, um, I think that that's part of that changing the stigma that I'm so passionate about is that it doesn't take away the fact that you're a badass because you know, you're just feeling overwhelmed. And the other thing is, you know, people, like you said earlier, they have different sufferings. So maybe somebody's more irritated with this, this assignment because they got in a fight at home before they deployed, you know? And so they have that on their plate. And now with technology, shoot, you can fight all day. 
Oh attacks. yeah. You can't, <laughs> I mean, not that you should escape it because you need to confront problems, but you can't escape it even if you wanted no. to. And, and sometimes you need to cut it off. You know, sometimes you need to be able to have that boundary of like, listen, can we talk about this later? Like I can't do this all day plus be focused and interact with my crew. Yeah. Well, it causes a hazard at that. You got, you're not a hundred percent dialed in. No, you're thinking about how you're going to respond or, you know, what's going on at home. And I'm not saying cut off completely, but there's boundaries. It's all about good boundaries and setting that up and, you know, everything in moderation, right? Oh, absolutely. That's what they say about everything. <laughs> yeah. Except for whiskey. Cause whiskey's delicious. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously though, I mean, the moderation thing is definitely one of those things you need to realize, especially when you're approaching things that may be going on at home. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a time and a place for it. And I, I get that. Yeah. You want to settle shit. You want to get everything squared away because if you're not dialed online, like I said, mm-hmm. you got so other other factors, you, you limit your, uh, your focus. Yeah. I'm hoping that they'll get to the point where, you know, like they do the, um, the research, you know, the RT one thirty. I'm hoping that someday they'll get to the point where they'll add a little piece of mental health and preseason prepping kind of thing. Um, especially for the new people coming in, the new rookies that have zero clue what really it is about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just, I hope, I mean, they could literally make it such a quick little thing that does some education and, you know, starts our, the rookies off on a better foot. Well, that's the thing. It'd probably be integrated in there and it'd only take like two, three Mm -hmm. hours. Yeah. It'd be easy. You know, and then have some resources as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, if someone listening, I know someone's going to be thinking right now, if they're listening, like when we're talking about setting the culture and the boundary, they're going to be like, well, what if the rookie sucks? (laughs) And I got to be on him. Some people suck. Some people are not cut out. They're not cut out for this. Yeah. Still is a healthy, appropriate way to, um, manage that as well. You know, again, if you, if you joke about their screw ups and they're not getting it and they're still not getting better, but you keep joking, they're not going to get it. I'm telling you, you're going to have to pull them aside and sit down and have a direct conversation because the joking and the hazing ends up being more passive aggressive, like a roundabout. So they're not going to maybe hear the direct message you need them to hear. So if you are having a rookie that's struggling and, you know, getting more and more um, worse as the season goes on or not figuring out, you're going to have to pull them aside um, because hazing them in front of everybody is really not going to get them on the right page. It's not going to drive the point home, you know? No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, you got to have, you got to present, if they mess up though, I mean, yeah, you got to present them the opportunity to fix their fuck ups. But at the same time, sometimes people need a little bit more hands-on if you will. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes peer pressure works. Sometimes that whole peer pressure, you know, like when you guys hike, you know, the whole thing about falling behind, you know, and yeah, like peer pressure does sometimes help in a positive way that you've got to focus. Like you don't get this far away from the person in front of you. So it does push and drive you a little bit more. It holds you accountable. Yeah. Well, that's the thing being held accountable. I think that's a lot of our culture. You know, we hold each other accountable, but we also have mm-hmm. to hold ourselves accountable as well. Mm-hmm. And that's where things like, like certain uniform requirements, like you will not blouse your boots or you will not gap out on hikes period. 
or mm-hmm. so on and so forth. I mean, that's the thing is that that shared suffering builds culture and it yes. builds cohesion, especially. Yes. It sets the standard. It sets, it sets the standard for accountability. Well, when you talk and you share the, your own stressors within your crew, it makes you more relatable. It makes you more, you know, real. And yeah. it does create cohesion, like nobody's business. I'm telling you, it's like, I always, when I present and I talk about PTSD and I talk about, um, compassion fatigue, you know, and I, I, I one of the studies, you know, PTSD became very prevalent after Vietnam. Um, you know, because before it used to be called shell shock, it wasn't PTSD. It was, right. It was shell shock and they didn't know a lot about it, but they started doing research and they started looking at the numbers between world war two and Vietnam and the numbers of PTSD that came out of those wars, both equally violent, equally caused a lot of death and destruction, but the PTSD was higher for Vietnam versus world war two. And so they did some research on it and looked for what the one variable was. And the one variable that changed was, um, mode of transportation, back home. How'd they come home on ships? On World War II, they came home on ships. Vietnam, you flew home and you were just sent on your way. Well, ships took months. Well, what did they do all those months on the ship? They talked about it. They talked about it. They shared their stories. They shared their pain. They shared what they saw and, and they bonded and they felt that sense of relief and they felt like they were normal. It normalized what they just went through. Vietnam, they put them on a plane, sent them back home 18 hours later, and they didn't talk to anybody about it, you know? And so that was one of the one variables that was different. Hmm. That's interesting that you put it like that. I mean, it seems like there's a big opportunity to, you know, talk about shit too, when you're with your crew, especially, man, you guys are in spike camp because I know you guys Mm -hmm. are going to be in fire camp this year. Well, you could be, but a lot of people are going to be spiking out. Oh but, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Just because mm-hmm. of COVID. Ugh. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it's, it's a good opportunity to bond with each other and, you know, mm-hmm. settle some shit or share some stories, but that yeah, this season is unique in the fact that it's going to open up a lot of opportunity for that. Well, connection is, you know, real connection requires some depth. It's not superficial and just shooting the shit about what's ever on the news or, you know, whatever superficially that is the topic. Sometimes getting real and, you know, sharing your issues or things you had happen off season. That's where the cohesion and the bond really starts. That's where really good leadership also starts, right? Is self-disclosure sometimes. It's one of the things I use. And I think it's why I am successful and have a good following is that if you know me, you know, I'm just real. Like this is who I am in session. This is who I am in real life. I, you know, in the book, I shared my own struggles with my own marriage and, you know, figuring all this out in communication. And it makes me relatable because I'm not out there trying to act like I'm holier than thou or, or that I don't have, or I've got it all figured out. I don't got it all figured out. Nobody has it all figured out. That's a thing though. Nobody does. But that goes into your cool guy attitude, right? I don't got no problems. I got my shit handled. Right. When, but do you though? But do you though? Right. And that's the hope that my hope is, is that that's how that culture starts to change. And I'm sure it'll catch on eventually. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, I see it in municipals because sometimes those are smaller, right? And more dense, like more compacted, um, you know, for service, you're with your crew and you run into other crews sometimes out on the line or in camp. But, you know, it's just uh, I think it's easier to hide in the Forest Service than it is in maybe municipals. It's true, though. And that and we, we're kind of solitary beings, I guess you could say, except for when we're on the crew. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, according to the survey that I put out there, a lot of us are pretty damn introverted, which is kind of surprising for me. Yeah. I'm curious about some of those numbers. Yeah. Um, I'm actually putting together a big ass PowerPoint and, uh, I'll probably be disseminating that soon, but, uh, yeah, not quite ready to give out some of the numbers yet, but this is my huge book of information. Yeah. That's crazy. So, but there was a good response. There's a lot of responses there. And, uh, yeah, I can tell you that, uh, where is it? There was like, uh, 90% 90% of, or not 90%, it was, it was uh, some number. Yeah. Oh, here it is. How difficult is it to relate to the public outside of firefighting? And a lot of it was extremely difficult. So on the higher end of that spectrum there, we're yeah. pretty, it tells me that we're kind of like introverted culture. And I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if that just kind of goes with uh, people's perception of us because we don't have, that people don't know what we do you know, right. They don't know how to interact with you. Yeah. And then it's hard to explain. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a wildland firefighter. So you're mm-hmm. a cow fire, right? Or you're a smoke jumper. And like, <laughs> no, that's like the stereotypical yeah. responses, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, and a lot of people don't get, um, the humor as nope. well. They find it, they can find it to be offensive. And so that's why you find firefighters and cops, not all, cause some uh, make it a point to have friends outside of the industry, but a lot, I hear a lot, like they just have friends within the industry because it makes it easier to get them. They get their humor. They, they get that relate. they don't show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's be interesting to see what that number turns out being. Yeah. It's uh definitely a, a lot of information I'm still compiling and it's been about a month of it. <laughs> so I bet. Yeah. It's a lot. But, uh, yeah, hopefully it can be some tools for everybody out there to like, take a look at. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I was thinking of that? I I think uh, we forgot to mention that I, I have, that is going to be an issue. Um, I know kids are off on summer, so they don't get it, but, um, a lot of the kids in school that have IEPs or special ed, mm-hmm. they are not getting any services during all of this. So their parents are left. They're not getting all the special services that come with the IEPs and, um, and the special programs that are offered through that. An IEP, if you're listening and you have it, you know what it is, but it's an individual education plan. And it's for when your kids have been deemed maybe special ed or need special educational environments. Um, and so they'll set up this plan with all what that child needs to be successful. Um, and so when school's not in, they're not attending to that stuff. So parents are having to deal with like their autistic children or, you know, special needs children on their own without support. And that is going, that is a huge issue for a lot of parents um, out there. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of it. 
Yeah, that's I didn't even something that I didn't even think about because my brother in law, he uh, my brother in law and my wife, uh, my wife being a former special educator, and then my brother in law mm-hmm. is a special educator, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but they were mentioning something about that last week. And that's gotta be extraordinarily hard. Yeah, it is. I I have a couple clients that I got new specifically because of that, because they've got, um, one, she's got an autistic son and he's kind of high functioning enough to know how to like manipulate her. And so when, uh, her firefighter husband is gone, the son becomes violent with her. Mm -hmm. And so she's basically been afraid to parent him and she's got no support, no services because schools are shut down. Oh man. Talk about challenge. Yeah. And so she's, they rely on these programs too. Well, it helps. I mean, they get the support that they need and you know, they're not left to their own devices. You know I mean? Like you think your wife was a special ed, a special education teacher. She went and got special teaching and credentials for that. You know, just because you birthed them doesn't mean you know how to handle their disability. Yeah. So you need the help. But with the schools closed down, they're not offering it. That's yeah, that's got to be hard. Mm-hmm. I could imagine. Yeah, it's um, another stressor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, you know, just like I was saying earlier, it's just working from home, my home is my sanctuary and I try and keep it that way. I don't try and bring my work home with me, but having to be forced to work from home, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Then you have kids. And then if you have kids with special needs, that's even more on top of that. And you have the dogs, then you have to clean and all this other stuff. It just, it compounds. Yeah. Sometimes you need to release from it. It's, it's Yeah. yeah, it can be difficult. And who knows, you know, the firefighters may be like, Oh, please, season open up because they want to pray. They're like, I need a break. I need to get out into the woods and do some cool stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So there may be no stress at all. They may just be like, yeah, let's go, you know, and and they may be pumped, but you know, it could go either way. I think it's just about the whole thing that I preach a lot of is being open-minded to whatever it is for you. If you go back and you're like, hell yeah, let's get out there good for you. I, you know, I'm happy about that. Um, that means you've got some good support and resources, but if you're that person that is like, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to leave the house with and leave my family and spouse or significant other to deal with all of this while I go out, you know, then they, you need extra support, you know, whether it's somebody to talk to in your crew, reaching out to peer support, you know, having a clinician now, most of the clinicians have got on board with the whole telecounseling mm-hmm. because of the COVID. So now that opens up a whole new like uh, resource for firefighters. You could literally be out on the line and have an appointment, you know, like when you get off at night after chow and have an appointment with your clinician, you know, to deal with whatever's going on. I mean, that's a real possibility now. Oh, yeah. And it's it's probably going to be sticking around to you because it's, I, I, it's gotta be effective because my wife does it. So, I mean, yeah, she doesn't tell it is, it is. And it isn't like, I will do it. But, um, if you're super critical, I won't do it because I just don't want the liability. I'd rather see you face to face. And I know it seems weird. Like we are face to face, but there is a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Um, 
you know, with the telehealth counseling, I will do it for some people, especially if I, you're an existing client, I will. Um, and I will make exceptions depending on what it is that you're bringing to the table. Just depending on the severity and the nature yeah. of the call, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, everybody's doing it now. So, um, you know, all the clinicians now, if they weren't and, or didn't know how that is an option now. So that is an extra resource that you can add to the list of, even if you're out on a fire and you're having a moment or you're really stressed out that that can be a possibility. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you should break the stigma. I mean, breaking the stigma is also relying on your resources that you have as well. I mean, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to reach out to somebody, even that's, even if that's a peer supporter, it yeah. could be just like one of your, your homies. Oh yeah. Well, the other thing is, is, and, and I talk about this all the time. A lot of firefighters are like, well, I leave, I leave work at work. I don't want to bring work home. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that if you think about how much time you spend at the, at work at a fire station or out on the line, you are at work more than you are at home. So if you are leaving work at work, you're dragging like, what it home you, with you regardless. Regardless. But then now you're keeping your significant other or your family out of this part of you that you love, you know, and you're, they're missing out on something that you're super passionate about and you love about the job or what you do. And so, you know, I challenge, I challenge firefighters all the time. Listen, your significant other is not weak. You cannot be a weak spouse or significant other, um, and be with a firefighter. You just can't do it. You, you have to be resilient. You have to be independent. You have to be a strong person. Oh yeah. They can handle it. You're not going to break them. But even, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the thing is like, you gotta, that's that communication thing. You mm-hmm. have to communicate. Period. You do. And you have to figure out what works for you. You know, it's like for forest service, you know, there are some forest service engines that run calls, right. That get some yeah, of the some medical of aids and yeah, risk, some of yeah. them get that. This, Oh, that's, that's right. It's all risk. Um, but, uh, for the most part, a lot of forest service, you know, it's fighting fire and you know, it's stuff you can share, but if it's, if it ever ends up being like gruesome stuff, you just have to talk to your spouse or significant other about what they want to hear. Do the details, are the details going to freak them out or do they just need to know you went on this really bad, you know, hiking accident or you rolled up on a horrible TC while you're on your way to a fire or something and they just don't want the details. Like, but you have to set that up with your significant other. Yeah, that's the thing. Communication is key, but also, you know, (laughs) doing it to where they won't scare them, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Not overburdening them. I mean, this is, this is a big balance there. It is. Balance it out. You just have to talk to each other and set up the plan because, you know, when you call your spouse at the end of the day, and I know for me being a spouse, sometimes I didn't want to hear like, or I wasn't empathetic because I thought, well, you're just out jackassing and playing, hanging out with all your friends. Like, what do you have to that be stressed not about? The case. <laughs> I know it's not the case. Now I know that's not the case, but you know, there was some points where I was jealous, like he's out having fun and I'm here raising kids and holding down the house and you know, he's out having fun. And when he started sharing more with me, then I got the realization, I got the understanding that it's not all fun and games. So being able at the end of your day to communicate with your spouse and your spouse being open to hear it, like it's just going to make you more connected. They're going to understand your job more. You're going to feel supported more. It's just a win-win. Yeah. 
And now for those people that don't have a spouse at home, uh, the single folks yeah. out there, what can you gotta they do? have a go-to? You got to have a, everybody, everybody. I don't care who you are. You need a go-to. You at least have to have that ride or die one person, you know, that you can talk, talk to. Um, even if it's a brother, sister, mom, grandma, aunt, I don't care. Cousin, friend, like if you don't have a go-to, you got to figure it out. You need to go to, you need to let some people in your life if you don't have a go-to. Yeah. And then, uh, what about like your peers too? I mean, do you got to have a peer support? That's peer support right there. I mean, right. You don't got to be on a peer support team or identified as a peer supporter. You know, your peers are literally your peers. They work with you. They're around you, you know, but again, it has to be an environment that is conducive to somebody feeling like they can talk to their crew or somebody on their crew. So again, that falls back on leadership and the seniors to set an environment that allows people to do that, that venting, you know, and, and sharing and talking. So, you know, you have family you can turn to, you can have your colleagues and peers, you have the formalized peer support teams that you could turn to. You have clinicians that you can set up, you know, even though with the telecounseling, but again, you know, a friend, a go-to. And I know that the numbers that you're talking about, that you guys tend to be more isolated. You can't be so isolated that you cannot name one go-to person. That's fair enough. So I think that those things are all important. Absolutely. But that's some pretty good tools that we can put in our toolbox though. And that's what the whole idea behind this episode is, is, you know, just mm-hmm. identifying some of those tools and some things you need to realize if, especially if you're getting into this job. Yes. Cause that's a big one. It's a steep learning curve and you kind of just have to figure it, it out. And I wish I, Man. I, I do. I, I really wish I had some of these tools when I first uh-huh. started out because probably would have been doing a lot better. Yeah. yeah probably wouldn't help. Well, I think you just, yeah, you go into it knowing a little bit more what to expect. You know, I think that these young kids are just so excited and that they got an opportunity and, you know, they want to make a good show of it. And, you know, they just go in with like all the enthusiasm that everybody had when they first started. And I just hate to see it when some old crusty burnout people squash that, that light, you know, and, Go ahead. Yeah. That's another thing too, is like avoiding burnout. Yeah. Cause those burnt out people, we've all met them. It yep. sucks, man. And so avoiding that burnout, that's that compassion fatigue. Yeah. Yep. And that's why you, it's being proactive, right? It's taking care of yourself and on your days off doing things, even if on your days off, you're literally like, I can't even think about going out and doing something. Sometimes you've got to force yourself to go do it. Cause then once you get out, you, you, most times you have fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's just the getting out the door. You're like, I don't want to go paddle boarding, go enjoy it. You know, that's another mm-hmm. thing too. It's like a lot of information that came out of the survey too, is just about how we perceive uh, work in the fire season. And a lot of people are afraid to let their crew down mm-hmm. by missing that call. You know, you get callbacks. Yep. Well, if you're out and you miss that two hour callback, you sign or you guys are going off and there's a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there you gotta look at the flip too. There's the guilt of letting down their family as well, right? Oh, yeah. So who, how do they win? You know, it's like if I don't go, I let the crew down. If I do go, I let my family down, right? And so where's the balance? So it's like firefighters live in this perpetual state of guilt of who do I let down this week? And that's the thing too. Is like, I mean. 
I never really thought of it that way, but I mean that balancing act with either choosing between your fire or your actual family. Mm-hmm. That's uh, one thing that I could have, I, I, I probably wish that I had done more of, you know, finding that balance. Cause I chose fire straight mm-hmm. up. Lots of young people do, they go hard, you know, they're passionate, they love it. They've always wanted to do it and they just want to give it their all and, and they go hard. And then, you know, they get one, they get burnt out or they get like disgruntled um, or they feel like, you know, what's the point? Um, you know, it's like reading again, like I said, reading, reading Aaron's letter, it was, it was heart wrenching, but eye opening. And I hope that people can get to that point where, you know, he, you know, he retired early because he chose just fire. Oh yeah. It's a trap that we fall into though. I mean, it's a very real trap. This, this becomes our identity. Mm-hmm. It does. And then the other issue that you have, well, that's another topic is when guys are ready to retire, you know, don't want to give up opposite. their identity. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to give up their identity. But I think um, the setting the tone as soon as your crew comes in is setting that tone for what is the environment going to be like? Do we talk about it right away and just say like, listen, this is a open space. We can talk about anything without judgment. Um, and sometimes as leaders, you can say it, but you also have have to model it. Yeah. You got to phrase it a specific way. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to model it and that's the thing is like, you got to find your own style about doing it too. Mm-hmm. So there's not a one unique style you make, you, you do you. And if you're authentic and you believe in what you're selling, then everybody else will too. It's creating buy-in. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you don't believe it, then it doesn't matter how much you say it. No one's going to, no one's going to do it. Cause they're going to, they're going to feel your vibe and your energy that you really aren't feeling it. Oh yeah. Well, if you're not genuine about something, I mean, see people see through your bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Straight up. But yeah, I mean, these are all valuable things to take into account for, you know, the beginning of the season, some of those steps to uh, kind of get through the season as well, you know, just addressing this stuff. But that's communication. <laughs> yeah. Don't wait till you're drowning to uh, ask for the lifesaver, you know, uh, just being aware. And I think especially for the new people or the people that this is new to, they may not know where their level is to being full. Right. So it's now it's just being honest and going, okay, what's my full level? What's my half? And just figure out what that feels like in your body, in your mind, you know, and just having some insight if this is a new idea or concept for you um, is there is the learning curve to figure out. Sometimes you got to have meltdowns to figure out where the top is. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you don't know how deep your cup is, like sometimes you're going to you're going to have to spill over before you go. Oh, shit. OK, now I know where my limit is. Yeah. And uh, it'll come. I mean, it'll come. One of those times will come. But you oh. know, being proactive with it may not, you know, it may be uh, handled a lot better, you know? Yeah. Oh, we've all, I've had meltdowns and, and like look back and went, wow, I didn't see that one coming, <laughs> you know, because the thing is, like I've said before, is you guys are used to functioning at a dysfunctional level. You're used to being very, you know, full in your cup on a regular basis. So you adapt and adjust. So you're good, you're good, you're good. And then you're not good. And it can happen so quickly that it can surprise you. And I've had it happen to me in the middle of a restaurant. 
I've had that happen to me where I had a total meltdown and didn't see it coming and was literally like in the midst of it and, and hearing myself yelling and going, Oh shit, I need to get out of here. <laughs> like, I am not, I need to go like this. Where did this come from? So we're all guilty of it. We all, it happens to all of us. And I think that being able to step back and go, okay, I lost my shit for a minute. I see where that happened now. How can I mitigate that moving forward so that I don't get that full? What yeah. are things I can do to keep my cup? Cause it's just this balancing act. Well, that's the thing too, is like the importance of not bottling shit up inside. Mm-hmm. We do it a lot. Yep. And then it explodes. Yeah. That's that meltdown. Basically that, that moment. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, these are all great great things that we need to take into account and kind of open our eyes to and really be aware of. And I think that's what the biggest thing is too, is, uh, awareness, just awareness of each other and awareness of the job, awareness of our surroundings and that balancing act between all of it. So, I mean, everybody's got to yeah. find their own style, Yep. but it'll help you along the way. Yeah, I agree. Well, cool. Minda. So we covered a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what are we at? We're almost at uh yeah, we're at two hours on this one. Oh man, yeah. that's long. Well, hold on a second. Uh about eh, hour forty-five. So okay. Pretty damn good episode. We covered a lot of topics, yeah. but yeah, uh, where can we find you? Where can we get a hold of you? Well, you can I do have a website. Um it's fully in uh fully involved doc, fully fully involved life.com. Sorry, can't even speak. Um, and you can hit me up there if you need to. Um, also I have emails, Minda at fully involved.com that they can reach out if they have any questions. Um, if they don't get that and they ask you, you can always give them my contact information. I hope people stay, you know, tune in for the whole thing and hear, you know, everything that we talked about, some good information. Yeah. It's long. There's definitely some good information in there and it's, it's a candid discussion about mental health too. And that's what I think needs to happen more. Yeah. And also, you know, again, my book has a lot of the stuff we talked about is in the book and described and it's good. I, I've had several for service. Like I said, the Angelus shout out to them, bought a book for every employee on the Angelus forest. Oh, really? And That's sent awesome. letters home. Yep. Mailed them out and sent letters home to everybody about, you know, supporting them and their families. And I think the firefighter and the spouse and family, even moms and dads can read it to get a better understanding of, you know, how to live in this life. And it, I think it normalizes a lot of what you're already thinking, but you're not sure if you're crazy or not. And so I think when reading it does help with that. Absolutely. And I, I highly suggest the book too. I've read it and my wife's read it and she understands now because <laughs> she has, you know, before she met me, she had no idea what firefighters, wildland firefighters right. do at least. So it's helped her out a lot too. Well, I thank you for your, you know, getting the message out to our wildland people. They matter just as much. And I hope that you know, our legislation and government and, you know, other resources see that soon and include them in everything. It'd be nice. It's going to take mm-hmm. a long time, I think, but, uh, it's getting there. I think the, the yeah. conversation is started and, yep. uh, it's just those enormous cogs of bureaucracy turning slowly. Yes. Matter so, of time. Yep. So thanks. Well, cool. Minda, um, thank yeah. you for being on the show and, uh, let's, uh, at the end of the show, as you know, as you're well-versed with, I'd like to give you, give you the opportunity to give a uh, shout out to a homie hero mentor. Who do you got for us? 
I forget that you do this to me. It even said it in here. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I am. You didn't read my IAP, did you? I I said, yeah, you're busted. No, look, I have it. I've read it. Um, You know what? I really am going to just give this shout out. I know it's corny and everybody's saying it, but like all of our first responders and like ER staff have really been put through the ringer through all of this and expected to do more than they already do. And I just am extremely honored And I really am definitely praying for those L.A. City firefighters and their spouses and families to get through this. And, you know, people, I just am super honored and proud to be a part of the fire family. I think it's a privilege. Oh, yeah. You got a strong community backing uh, behind your book and what you do over there. So definitely thank Thank you you. very much for one being on the show and what you do for the community. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Well, Mindo, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Okay, I'll be there. (laughs) Take care. Um. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with Dr. Minda O's. Minda, thank you so much for coming on the show yet for a third time. That's pretty awesome. I think you have the, yeah, no, you do. You do have the all-time top score as far as being on the show, and I definitely appreciate it. Definitely appreciate the work that you're doing for our first responder community, whether that be Wildland, Municipal, EMS, or LEO. And I definitely think that it's a uh, very important topic that is oftentimes overlooked. So thank you for that. Also, uh, Minda, she also has a, a book out about relationships with firefighters. So if you guys happen to be married or you guys are considering guys and girls are considering getting married, well, definitely check out her book. It's called The Fully Involved Life and you can find it on Amazon and I'll definitely provide some links for you guys in the show notes. We covered a lot of subjects today on the show. Uh, We talked about preseason mental health and how we can prep ourselves to optimize our fire season as far as the mental health game goes we talked about covid and how those additional stressors are kind of going to stack up on us this year there is a legitimate fear out there for not necessarily ourselves but the ones that we love and the ones that we are surrounded by it's not about us it's about them we also talked about some things to expect for your first time firefighters your rookies going into this game it's a hard job guys it's uh it's definitely tough but with a little bit of help from your peers we can make it work. Our peer support, that's thats thats critical. Rely on each other. Definitely lean on each other for helping each other out. Be a part of that fire family. But that is no substitution for a professional mental health service. So break the stigma. If you guys need professional help, definitely, definitely don't ever hesitate to reach out. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hope everybody's doing well. Enjoy. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.